What do electric trucks need to achieve cost parity with diesel? I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking, Season 6, Episode Number 5. Dana Incorporated, long known in the trucking industry as a Tier 1 supplier of axles and drivetrain components, is now one of the leading suppliers of electric propulsion components for light, medium, and heavy-duty electric trucks. It's safe to say that Dana knows a thing or two about the commercialization of electric trucks, from the market potential and the benefits and challenges of electrification to what's needed to achieve cost parity with diesel trucks. Joining me on this episode to talk about the road to an electric future are Jeremy Frensnick, Dana's Senior Director of Commercial Vehicle Engineering, and Beza Seriaglu, Dana's Senior Director of Strategy and Business Planning for Commercial Vehicles. Our conversation begins right after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com to learn more. So, Beza, thanks for joining us on HDT Talks Trucking. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Happy to be here. And you too, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Jim. Glad to be here. So I think the best way to start this conversation is to dig into how Dana sees the uh, the market for battery electric and fuel cell trucks opening up. How long do you think it'll be before we start to see electric trucks achieve a critical mass and uh, you know we can begin to take some advantage of the uh, of scale when we start building these things in greater numbers? To answer that question, um, let's take a look at the market drivers for electrification. At the moment, we see regulation, total cost of ownership, TCO, and supply demand being the primary drivers. TCO is heavily dependent on the required battery size, the vehicle range, which is influenced by the weight, load, duty cycle, topology, and the charging pattern. So based on all of this, we see that electrification adoption is accelerating across commercial vehicles, starting with the light commercial vehicles and buses and, you know, continuing with the medium-duty trucks um, because they are reaching the TCO parity with the internal combustion engines pretty much today, especially in urban and regional use cases such as distribution of goods, local services like construction, because they require smaller batteries and with their duty cycles, they get more benefit from regenerative braking, different technologies electrification offers. Long haul, on the other hand, um, heavy-duty trucks expected to reach the TCO parity close to 2030 timeframe, and fuel cells will be more widely used once on-highway and long-haul trucking begins adopting electrification, expected to accelerate beyond 2035. That's going out a few years then, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it's not going to be a quick transition. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Well, I assume Dana has plans to get involved in the fuel cell electric business too, since they're essentially electric trucks at the end of the day. What are your thoughts on the potential for fuel cell electric vehicles? Are they really fundamentally different from batteries from a motor and axle perspective? So maybe I can take this one. Um, from Dana's perspective, at least, when it comes to providing an e-propulsion system, we've really tried to remain a power agnostic. It, uh, 
it's something that we've kept in front of us. We were fully aware of what power generation, power storage sources there are. Um, but we want to be able to play in all of those. So uh, from a design development validation standpoint, we don't really care where the power is coming from. Where it does get a little bit tricky and where you just have to be more aware is when it comes to architecture differences in terms of regen, right? So regeneration power, uh, an e-propulsion system that's needing to do say 100% regen is gonna look, gonna be architected quite a bit differently than per se something that's 20% regen. Okay. So that's the only real difference from a design development standpoint. We, uh, we're happy to play in the BEV market, fuel cell, However, the vehicles want to come equipped with that energy. So, like you said, it's the, you're basically agnostic. The volts come from somewhere to your motors, and you're not really too particular where. Right, exactly. Where it gets a little bit tricky is, you know, if we're able to regen a tremendous amount of power, the vehicle, the architecture in the vehicle has to be able to accept that, right? Yeah. And when it comes to battery management and some of the controls and architecture that way, it just has to be, it can't be a, an afterthought. It has to be very purposely planned out that way. Okay. Uh, we're talking about batteries and, and battery size and weight for the time being. Uh, they're going to be a bit of a barrier, at least in the near future, for long haul trucks especially, uh, but probably not for the lighter ones, the class five and seven. How do you see the growth in the smaller classes of electric trucks compared with that in the class seven and eights? Well, as I mentioned before, we expect the um, lighter, smaller trucks to adopt electrification before heavier, uh, long-haul type of applications. Um, long-haul is essentially expected to break even around 2028, 20, 2030 timeframe in Europe and China, while um, U.S. doesn't break even before 2030, and this is primarily due to higher daily distances here in the United States and also lower diesel prices. Of course, sustainability targets and government subsidies and or mandates for that matter could impact the speed of transition. And we also see that adoption could accelerate with the availability of the infrastructure and, you know, uh, fast charging stations. Well, what parts of the world would you say at this stage of the game are leading in, in the battery electric field? Uh, I know we're doing a pretty good job here, but i I think we're probably not in first place as far as rollout and adoption is concerned. Uh, what markets do you think around the world are going to be uh, first to the to the game with a, a large-scale uh, project? From a global perspective, um, we see China to be the front-runner, and this is due to the subsidies applied to purchase prices and government support in boosting the industry supply. So China is definitely a front-runner. Um, closely followed up by Europe and eventually by the United States. And when it comes to the vehicles themselves, from a design and engineering perspective, is there much difference there between China and North America and Europe? Do you have to, you know, the issue we have with engines and emissions is you're, you're always trying to build an engine uh, to meet local emissions requirements. Is this something you're going to have to think about with the battery electric rollout too? Of course, I mean, globally, different regions, they have different regional requirements. Uh, this is true for the legislation from a legislation perspective, as well as from a technology or customer expectation perspective. And the use cases and duty cycles also vary. Um, there are different speed re requirements. There are different classification of uh, these commercial vehicles in terms of weight. 
Um, so it varies significantly from region to region. So which is something we need to pay attention to and develop solutions for. So it's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of market, just like emissions. Unfor- unfortunately not. <laughs> okay. It would be really nice if it was. I mean, yes. as we look at developing global solutions, that's the ideal case, right? But as Beza mentioned, you know, things like duty cycles, things like vehicle speeds, and even just the durability requirements of these vehicles are very different between, say, China and North American markets. So it makes a, a development challenge, uh, not something that can't be overcome, but certainly something that has to be uh, thought through at the beginning. Because, uh, again, the, a global solution would be amazing. Um, it's something that we really work towards, but it's uh, it seldom works out that way. But, you know, within Dana, we have a large portfolio of scalable modular products. Uh, we also offer services anywhere from electric motors, inverters, all the way to full battery and fuel cell electric vehicle integration services around the globe. So wherever you need us, we are there. Well, just in terms of the size of that market, um, any idea, can you put a number on it or uh, <laughs> a dollar value uh, of where electric trucks might be by 2035? I can't really put a dollar amount uh, in terms of the market value from the top of my head, but I can tell you from an adoption perspective, we see um, in various different market studies that the light uh, commercial vehicles are widely adopting the electrification technology. In that time frame, they will be primarily battery electric, um, followed by medium duty, which will probably reach between 30, 40, even 50% adoption rates in that time frame, uh, followed by the heavy duty, uh, accelerating beyond 2030, 2035 time frame, also uh, adopting a little bit the fuel cell electric vehicle technology starting in 2030. And buses are probably the front runners in this race. And by then, I personally expect all buses to be battery electric. Well, I know there's battery electric buses popping up here where I live, and that's an encouraging sign. Just a reminder, we're speaking with Beza Sarieglu. She's the uh, Senior Director of Strategy and Business Planning for Commercial Vehicles at Dana. And Jeremy Frensnick, he's the Senior Director of Commercial Vehicle Engineering at Dana, and we're discussing the uh, electric truck market now and sometime out in the future. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges we face in terms of electrical infrastructure and some of those uh, stuff that aren't directly related to the motors and gears that make electric trucks work. I'm Jim Park. This is HTT Talks Trucking. We'll be right back. HTT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HDTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in this business. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HDTX 2021. Visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. So we're back with Beza Sarieglu and Jeremy Frenzik from Dana. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, electrical infrastructure, uh, the grid and those sorts of things. Not much is discussed publicly about the cost of uh, setting up that infrastructure and trucking terminals to support fleets of electric trucks. And we've heard some of those costs can be frighteningly high. How long do you think, or how long does Dana think, or you think, 
that subsidies uh, can be sustained by governments to, uh, to get over the really high cost of that transition? Um, transition to electrification requires investment. There is no doubt about it, and it's significant mm. investment. As you know, Biden administration proposed a $2 trillion infrastructure package uh, related to transportation and energy recently. And, you know, inside that package, $174 billion of that investment is going to going into the electric vehicle market, either to enable uh, domestic supply chain to manufacture batteries and EVs. There are also grants and incentive programs for state and local governments to develop a network of EV chargers by 2030 timeframe. So we do expect that private sector is going to follow, uh, you know, with their set of investments in the infrastructure as we transition to electrification. And once we reach a certain scale for the char- with the chargers and the infrastructure that's needed around us to make this uh, more mainstream, uh, the prices should come down slowly and enabling and making it more affordable for the fleets uh, to, to transform their business. Well, what are the big differences in the um, the way fleets pay for energy right now? Is when you, you go buy diesel fuel, you pull into a truck stop, you pump in a bunch of diesel fuel, you pay for it and drive away. It's a pretty easy transaction. Uh, and the trucking company doesn't pay directly for any of that infrastructure unless they've got their own fueling tanks at the yard. If you're a big fleet, you know, several hundred, several thousand trucks, you're going to have to put pay to put all that infrastructure into your own terminal, which is a different way of doing business. I mean, the, the energy costs themselves may ultimately be less, but that upfront cost of setting up that infrastructure is going to be staggering. Indeed. I mean, once again, clearly some investment is going to be required, especially from a charging uh, infrastructure perspective. The fleets will have to set up their own depot charging stations to be able to charge their fleets. Uh, depending on their duty cycles, you know, if they're going to be uh, at the depot at night, for example. Um, so once again, the government subsidies should help with that. Uh, there's government funding that they can tap into. Uh, there's different grants that they can take advantage of. Um, let's not forget that, you know, as the entire industry transitions to electrification, um, electrification combined with some of the other tech trends that we see in the industry, for example, uh, connectivity, uh, is creating basically a completely new ecosystem for the fleets and the industry. Um, and this new ecosystem is also creating potentially new revenue streams for fleets. So this could be seen as a more long-term investment into an area that's basically transforming from a business perspective. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, y- you said uh $2 trillion on the table from the Biden administration, $174 billion for electric vehicles and infrastructure. $174 billion sounds like a lot of money, but is it really, you know, considering the, the scope of the change that we're going to have to see in North America? Um, we need to keep in mind as well that the fleets are expected to scale up slowly for many reasons. For example, at the moment, they are adopting a limited level of electrified vehicles because they're trying to learn the technology, experiment with it. Um, they want to see how electric vehicles operate, how, how to maintain them, and to educate the drivers, uh, as well as gaining their acceptance. Um, so since we're not transforming the entire business to electrification, uh, let's say, 
quickly. Overnight, we have yeah. time. We have time to really put the investments in place, understand the technology, find clever and creative ways to overcome some of these hurdles. <laughs> I, and I'm sure we will too. And keep in mind, right? All the all the while, uh, battery technology is improving. Efficiency of the e-propulsion, the overall electric vehicles will be improving. So you're going to get more range per kilowatt hour than we were currently, right? So you've got infrastructure increasing support. You've got efficiency of the vehicles, efficiency of the, the power sources improving as we go. I think we're going to find a really nice culmination here uh, right around that 2030 timeframe. Well, I know Dana is not directly involved in the battery side of the business. You're, you're more the uh, electronics and power controls on the truck, but uh, you've got to be looking forward at uh, supply of raw materials for batteries, such like lithium, tungsten, cobalt, stuff like that. Um, we're currently relying on some fairly unstable markets for supply of those materials. Is there any alternative on the horizon, do you think, or is a domestic production of that material uh, a viable option going forward? If we look at it today, most of the raw material mining and processing is done outside of the United States. Um, processing is primarily done in China and raw material is coming from various different places, uh, Republic of Congo, Africa, Indonesia, China. Our domestic supply chain is beginning to develop as electric vehicle demand expands. Companies are also investing in lithium and nickel deposits uh, throughout the U.S. and Canada, wherever this is feasible. We also see a big push in the lithium-ion battery recycling, which could be cheaper than mining new materials. So if we look at it, recycling will be a critical, uh, will play a critical role for developing a sustainable transportation industry and also helping us reduce our dependency on other countries for raw materials. Not to forget the technology, battery technology is advancing almost uh, very, very rapidly. The prices are coming down significantly and we are, there's a lot of research going into different uh, battery materials and technologies, for example, solid state. And this also will help us in the future. Yeah, I think we're, we tend to focus on the current situation uh, and not allow for uh, technological, technological gains and, and efficiencies that are going to come with scale and all those other sorts of things that come our way. Yeah. And it's an absolutely dynamic market right now. And I think as you, I think you mentioned potential for alternatives out there, right? As the hydrogen fuel cell market continues to evolve, you've got a, a, a viable alternate right there. Mm -hmm. Right, so, you know, fewer or smaller scale batteries required on a truck in order to use, uh, to be supplemented with the fuel cell technology. And then, as Basa mentioned, improving technology on the battery side. We're going to see that crossroads here come to fruition soon. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about grid capacity then? Um, you know, we just saw a pretty frightening occurrence down in Texas um, not too long ago uh, where, you know, a, something minor like a winter snowstorm, a pretty big event for Texas, mind you, uh, brought the grid to its knees. When we start adding... Uh, capacity or, or demand to our current grid on the likes which we haven't seen yet where you have hundreds of trucks in areas all using 250 300 uh, kilowatt hours per per day uh, how are we going to ramp up and get that into place before truck demands I know we're talking 2035 here and it's going to be a you know these two things will grow side by side but 
is the capacity there with the resources we have right now, do you think? Well, if we were to convert to, you know, battery electric vehicles overnight, we would have a big problem for sure. So we need to remember there are um, several different ways to generate electricity using clean coal, for example, natural gas, solar, wind, nuclear, hydropower. So I think we're going to have to tap into all of these different uh, sources. And once again, we expect the gradual transition to electrification, allowing time for us to upgrade the grid and the infrastructure. Um, most recently, once again, part of the uh, proposed um, current administration's proposal includes a hundred million dollar, hundred billion dollar, I'm sorry, government funding to upgrade the grill, grid and making it more resilient. This is part of the package, uh, which should also help. Once once again, the timing of charging the vehicles is going to be important because if everyone is trying to charge at the same time, this will absolutely overload the grid. So we will have to find a way to manage the grid resources better. Yeah, we're going to have to. I think, you know, just opening up the floodgates and everybody turning on the switch at uh, seven o'clock at night and sucking all this power off the grid, that's going to be, that's going to be challenging. It's going to be huge. When it comes to stuff that you're familiar with, the, the motors themselves and, and the power electronics and those systems on board the truck, I, I tend to think of a powertrain like a diesel engine. Um, over time, the diesel engine manufacturers have added efficiencies, they've changed combustion processes, they've changed the shape of the piston bowls and all sorts of things that they come to the table with. Uh, from an electric motor point of view, uh, what sort of efficiencies are there today and, and what sort of efficiencies can we squeeze out of an electric motor uh, in the future? I, I just don't know much about these things yet. You know, electric motors have been around for a very, very long time, not necessarily in the automotive industry, but in other industries. So electric motor has been around. Um, so there are, of course, technological advancements that we are experimenting with in terms of using less rare earth materials, making the electric motors more efficient, increasing the power and so on. Yeah. But um, from a technology perspective, they've been around for a long time. We yeah. also need to keep in mind that, you know, when we talk about battery electric vehicles or fuel cell electric vehicles, there are multiple ways to electrify uh, commercial vehicles. So, our, you know, we could use direct drive systems, we could use centralized solutions, we could use fully integrated, let's say, e-access solutions. And each one of these different solutions come with different technological benefits uh, and trade-offs. And as we go for more uh, higher degrees of product integration, if you will, um, it's, not, it's no longer the primary deciding factor that you have the most efficient motor as part of this system, but it is more the system efficiency that makes all the difference so that you have to have, which means is that you have to have an electric motor, a power traction inverter, and a, a transmission and whatever else is part of your system, basically working in perfect harmony and creating the best system efficiency. You can take the most efficient motor and the most efficient inverter and put them together, integrate them together into any axle and not end up with the most efficient system. Interesting. Okay. Well, given where we are today, um, if you want to 
put that at you know a number one, for example, where will we be in in twenty thirty five or twenty thirty in terms of the efficiency of that uh, of that powertrain? How much further ahead will we be in ten or fifteen years? Do you think? I think we will be much further ahead than where we are today, and it's not only due to the fact that e-propulsion technology is advancing. What the industry is facing right now is multiple tech trends, big tech trends, you know, disturbing tech, tr- disrupting tech trends. For example, electrification closely followed by connectivity, closely followed by platooning or autonomous uh, driving technology. So each one of these tech trends are kind of following an S-curve, you know, the typical technology adoption curve. But if you put all three on top of each other, what you end up with is an exponential S-curve, exponential technology adoption curve. So within the next 10 years, we're going to have to really speed up our innovation and, you know, the speed of creating differentiation and finding the best let's say, uh, system optimization potentials utilizing all of these different tech trends. So e-propulsion or commercial vehicle industry in general is going to be completely different than what it is today in 10 years. (laughs) That's mind-boggling. It truly is. It's an exciting time to be in this field. Wow. Jeremy, um, you want to add something there? Yeah, just if we think back on just, for example, the transmission evolution in the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, you know, we, we went from typical three-speed automatic transmissions and four with overdrive, you know, all the way up into eight, nine, and 10-speed transmissions. But primarily that's done, obviously, to enhance and improve efficiency at the vehicle level. Now, the OEMs would likely have not taken that dra- dramatic of an approach should uh, ICE-powered vehicles uh, engines exhibit such a nice flat long torque curve, right? So the the benefit of the electrified propulsion systems that we're we're dealing with here is that they have that nice flat wide torque curve. So I guess what I'm getting at is I wouldn't expect the same. 10 speed transmissions to be out there in 10 years. But we do see multi the, the benefits of multi-speed solutions when it comes to uh, startability, gradeability, top speed, and the trade-offs that you get from going from a single speed direct drive into a multi-speed solution. Long-winded answer, answer to say, I don't see us getting into <laughs> 10 speeds anytime soon, but certainly there will be with that evolution of multi-speed transmissions that will further help vehicle level efficiency. Okay. So before we wrap up here, a couple of final thoughts from both or either of you, Um, just to sort of a recap on, you know, where we are today, where we're going, or anything you want to add to this discussion on a a personal level. Basie, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Well, electrification is here today, especially for lighter commercial vehicles, uh, including medium-duty segment and buses. And electrification will continue to accelerate uh, from an adoption perspective in the industry. And we believe Dana is well positioned to to serve this market with variety of different products uh, and systems and subsystems that we currently offer to the market. We're very excited about, you know, what electrification and some of the other uh, upcoming tech trends will bring. And we are absolutely uh, ready to embrace the challenges. And how about you, Jeremy? A couple of final thoughts before we wrap up here. 
Sure, sure. Well, I mean, as Basa mentioned, it's a really exciting time to be in the the world of electrification, and uh, the combination of electrification and the heavy truck industry is is very exciting. You know, from my perspective and many others, I think this is taking off way faster than we had anticipated. You know, we know China's been doing electrification for a long, long time in the bus market, um, and we anticipated, you know many, many more years out where we were seeing more take and more demand from the OEMs and fleets, um, but it's going way faster than we had expected. So that's exciting. Uh, what it really means is purposeful systems level engineering is what's gonna be paramount to winning in this business. Uh, taking the time to understand the system needs, the vehicle level requirements, and then doing the diligence needed to do top-down engineering is what's going to set Dana's solutions apart from the competition. Okay. Well, Jeremy Frensnick, uh, he's the Senior Director of Commercial Vehicle Engineering at Dana. Jeremy, thanks for your time this afternoon. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. And Beza Sarioglu, I thank you for your time. You are the Senior Director of Strategy and Business Planning for Commercial Vehicles at Dana. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure is mine. HTT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HTTX is a networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us August 25th through August 27th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HTTX 2021. To view this year's agenda and apply to be our guest at HTTX 2021, visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. I hope you're enjoying Season 6 of HDT Talks Trucking so far. Check out some of our other new episodes, including a look at the recent revision to the hours of service rules and an automated truck developer that's taking the road less traveled. If you like what you hear on HDT Talks Trucking, help us grow our audience by spreading the word on social media and give us a rating and a review if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. If there's something you'd like us to cover on HDT Talks Trucking, email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.